You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Well, how are we doing tonight? Is everybody good? We feel good? You're going to have to do a little bit better than that. All right, I had a Celsius before I came up here, so like my energy's up here and I need you to match it. All right, so how are we doing tonight? That is better. I need that kind of energy from you because I'm going to be pinging off the walls. My wife is rolling her eyes at me in the back because I usually do not drink Celsius, and this is why. But I'm excited for tonight. Tonight, I want to talk to you about revolution, all right? And that may sound like a strange way to start this sermon tonight, but I want to talk to you about revolution. We all love stories of revolution, right? Like we love stories where a wicked power falls and a good power rises to take its place. We love stories where a wicked regime is kicked out and the good rises. We love stories where hope begins to rise. We love stories where the bad guy loses and the good guys win. These stories of revolution have a tendency to just resonate with us like no other. That's why we love stories like The Lord of the Rings where this unlikely character rises up and takes his place and he takes on the powers of darkness and evil and he triumphs and light begins to spread once again. We love stories like the Chronicles of Narnia where the true king comes and defeats the evil witch and winter breaks and the sun begins to shine once again. We love stories like Gladiator and brave hearts, where a few brave and noble men take on a wicked regime and begin to rise and take their place and overthrow wickedness in the name of what is good and right and just. And we love stories like our own beloved Kirby Smart returning to Athens and taking down the tyranny that was Coach Saban and the Crimson Tide. We love, there we go, yes, that one resonated with somebody. We love stories of revolution. There is something within the heart of every human that longs to see wrongs made right, hope to arise and things to be made well. This is true of all of us. And why do I say that? Well, we've been journeying together through this series all on the Lord's Prayer. Perhaps one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. And we've been talking about how this prayer teaches us so much about what it is that we should be concerned about. That Jesus teaching us this prayer, he's not just giving us a script to recite over and over and over again. He is teaching us things that we should be concerned about. He is teaching us ways in which we are to relate to God. He's teaching us the types of things that we should cry out for. And so what we've seen so far is we've covered two lines in this Lord's Prayer. We, we covered that first line together of our Father in heaven. And we talked about how Jesus beginning his prayer that way is an invitation for us, broken sinful, messed up humans like you and I to know the God who created the universe, the one who spoke and sent galaxies spinning into motion, that we are invited by Jesus to relate to God Almighty as our Heavenly Father. That this invitation from Jesus shows us both his great love for us and his power over all things. And then last week, we covered that line in the Lord's Prayer that comes next. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And we talked about how that's perhaps one of the most misunderstood parts of the entire Lord's Prayer because it just uses language that we don't use in our normal everyday life anymore. And we talked about how that word hallowed means to make holy and that whenever we pray that, that it is we are requesting of God that his name would be regarded as holy among all the earth among all peoples, in all places, that we want the name of God to be hallowed, to be regarded as holy for us to understand and for all peoples of the earth to understand that God is the greatest good in the universe. And tonight, we come to the middle part of this prayer. And this is really kind of a, a shifting point in the prayer. All of the, the beginning, these, these three first lines are all about perspective and having the right perspective. And what happens next week is that we're going to get to more practical things. But the last perspective shift that Jesus gives us, he gives us this line. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this prayer, this line of Jesus, this this prayer that he's encouraging us to pray is a prayer for revolution. Whenever we pray that, we are praying for a revolution to take place in our world. And I want you to think about that with me. Think about this critically with me for a moment. What do I mean by this? That this line in this prayer is a prayer of revolution. What I mean is this. Whenever Jesus encourages us to pray that the kingdom of God would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that implies that this must mean that this is not already happening, or at least not in full, right? You follow that logic. By Jesus asking us to pray that, that means it's not taking place in the way in which that it should, at least not yet. This must mean that there is a power at play here on earth that needs to be overthrown. There is a revolution that needs to take place so that the true king can reign once and for all, that the powers of darkness need to continue to fall so that the kingdom of light can advance. So when Jesus encourages us to pray this prayer, he's encouraging us to pray a prayer for revolution. That A revolution is what is needed in our world. And I think that we can all... We all get this to some degree. Like we all have an understanding that yes, we live in a world in which there is good, right? Like that we experience good things. Like the being in Sanford Stadium on a Saturday night, watching the sunset as the dogs play with your friends, that's a good thing. It's a lot of fun, and God gives us good gifts like that for a reason. Sitting down at a table. And sharing a good meal with good friends and having good conversation, that's a good thing. Moments like these where we gather together and we worship Jesus. I mean, y'all, I'm so thankful for this band that leads us every week and that we get to come and sing songs like Simple Kingdom and just proclaim the glories of God and just worship together. These moments are good things. We experience good but we also still see glimpses of evil and darkness in our world, right? We see it on a big scale in massive injustice that continues to take place all over the globe. We see it in our city. We see it on our campuses, and we even see it in us. There is much evidence of the kingdom of darkness still in our day. And in that, we should understand that there is still a revolution that needs to take place. Things need to be made right. 
And whenever we see these things, whenever we see injustice, whenever we see evil, whenever we see remnants of the kingdom of darkness, there should be a longing in each and every one of us for justice and righteousness, right? We all long to see wrongs made right. I would tell you that that longing comes from the one who made us, that we are all made in the image of God and our God is just and our God is righteous and our God is holy and the desire in every human heart for us to see justice, for us to see wrongs made right, that comes from the God who made us. And we long to see these wrongs made right, but the problem is we have a tendency as humanity to look for solutions in all of the wrong places. So we see injustice in the world and our mind immediately goes to human effort. And we start thinking about, oh, we, people just need more education. We just need more political reform. We just need the right leaders to rise up and take their place. And all of those things can be good and they can bring some good, but they're never going to bring the ultimate good because all of those things are broken things made up of broken people. And what we need in our day, in the midst of the brokenness that we still experience, the darkness that we still experience is we don't need human reform. We need the kingdom of God. That's what we need. That's what our souls are longing for. We need the kingdom of God to advance in our world. That is why this prayer of Jesus is so important because it is a prayer for revolution. And the reason why stories of revolution resonate so deeply with us is because we're living in the midst of one. We're living in the midst of one. We're living in this story between two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the time for revolution is now. And that is why Jesus encourages us to pray this magnificent prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's what I wanna do tonight. With the time that we have remaining, I just wanna talk about this story of two kingdoms that we're living in. I want us to see how the story of the Bible in many ways is the story of two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And it is the story of the kingdom of light completely ruining the kingdom of darkness and advancing in our world. I want to talk about where we now sit on this side of the cross in this grand story. And at the end, I want to give you a three-part framework for how we begin to pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom of God. So that's where we're going. We're going to talk about the story of these two kingdoms, and then we're going to talk about how we participate in this cry for the kingdom of God to come in the world. So that's where we're headed. Let's talk about first this story of the two kingdoms. Just a minute ago. Amelia read for us from Colossians chapter one. I wanna reread a couple of those verses for us real quick, okay? So if you have your Bibles, join me again. Colossians one, I'm gonna read verses 13 and 14. This is Paul writing to a group of believers and he's reminding them of what has been done for them. And he says this in verses 13 and 14 of Colossians chapter one. He says, he, being God, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, or that could be translated kingdom of darkness, and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a really significant verse. 
This verse has so much packed in it. For us to get to the depth of this, you must understand the depth of this meaning of what it means that you have been offered the opportunity in the name of Jesus to be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is not just some like poetic language from Paul. This is not like Paul trying really hard to sound good like you do whenever you're writing an essay for a professor. Like, this is not what is happening here. Paul is describing something that takes place in the heart of every believer. That if you are a believer in the room, that what Paul is describing right there is what has happened in your own life. That you have been transferred, that you were once a participant and a part of the kingdom of darkness. And now through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have been set free from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And for us to understand the depth of that, we have to get a grasp on this grand story that we're a part of. We have to understand what is going on here. And so I want to give you a brief overview of what I'm talking about, this story of two kingdoms. We see this throughout the entire Bible. I'm just going to give you a glimpse of it from the very beginning of our story. In Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we see this familiar story. In the beginning, God creates all that we see and know. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. What Genesis 1 and 2 shows us is that God is the originator of all things. Everything in life finds their beginning in God. The entire point of Genesis 1 and 2 is to show you that everything finds their origins in God. God. We look to Genesis 1 and 2 to answer questions that it is not trying to answer. It is trying to show you that there is a God who creates. He creates everything that we see and know. He sets up the kingdom of light. And in this establishment of his world, he then creates us. And Genesis 1 tells us this in verses 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, we don't have time to go into all the implications of Genesis chapter 1, but what I want you to see tonight is that as God establishes his kingdom, he creates mankind in his own image to rule and reign with him. That we, man and woman, were created to rule and reign in the kingdom of God along with the one who made us. That God is the ultimate king over all things and we are meant to be his stewards to care for and to participate in the expanding of his kingdom over all the earth. That you were not created just to be a bystander in this kingdom, you were made to be an active participant. That is who you are meant to be under God. This is his grand design to fill the earth with his glory, meaning that he wants his kingdom to not just be localized in one place. He wants it to fill the ends of the earth. This is his grand vision. But the sad reality that we see in the beginning of the story and that we see continue to play out throughout human history and even in our own lives is that even though this invitation has been offered to the people of God, the people choose to rebel and seek something else. In Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to an enemy 
that comes against the true king, an enemy that begins to, begins to whisper lies into mankind's ears, lies telling them that God is holding something back from them and humanity believes the lie and they begin to, begin to pursue their own way. And in that act of rebellion, they turn away from God and they pursue their own way and this is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is the building blocks of the kingdom of darkness. It is the foundation of the kingdom of darkness. And with each small act of rebellion, humanity seeks further and further into the kingdom of darkness. And in this kingdom, there is no light, there is no life, there is only death, and there is only darkness. And what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is after this initial act of rebellion, the man- mankind runs from God and hides in their shame. That's what we see. And I think that we all know what this feels like. We know what it feels like to grasp for something that we thought would bring us freedom, but it really only brings us more bondage. We know that feeling, right? Like you, you go out one night thinking that you can drown all of the negative thoughts and negative emotions in the bottom of a bottle, but drink after drink after drink just doesn't seem to do enough. And what you thought would satisfy and help you escape those negative feelings only compounds the negative feelings and the next morning you're left feeling worse. Or you're feeling really down on yourself so you decide to lash out at someone else and and tear them down thinking that if I could just tear them down maybe that'll make me feel good about me for a second. But in reality, that just makes you feel more isolated and more ashamed. Or you have this desire for connection and acceptance and you let that desire lead you down a path that you never thought you would go, doing things that you never thought that you would do, chasing the approval of people that you're not even sure actually care about you in the first place and you're left feeling even more isolated and even more alone. What promised freedom actually brought more bondage. We've all experienced this in one degree or another. That is exactly what creation, humanity experiences in Genesis chapter 3. They grasp for something that they thought would bring them freedom, but it actually leaves them more enslaved. And they run, and they attempt to hide from the one who made them. And Genesis chapter 3 says they cover their shame, they cover themselves in fig leaves. They hide in their shame from the one who made them. This is what the kingdom of darkness does. The kingdom of darkness masquerades as the kingdom of light. It promises good, but it only brings shame and isolation. This is what the kingdom of darkness does. And so what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is what our king is all about. Because God in Genesis chapter 3, he does not, he does not punish, he does not bring immediate judgment. Instead, he comes in an act of grace. And he comes to the man and woman in their shame. He approaches them where they are. And what does he do? Those of you who know the biblical narrative should know that he takes the life of an innocent animal and he makes for them garments to clothe them to cover their sin and their shame. And I don't want you to miss the symbolism here, that an innocent life is given to cover the shame of the guilty. That this is what our king does, that he continues to pursue us even in our rebellion. You see, the kingdom of darkness promises you the world and then it does not deliver. And in your shame, it leaves you in shackles and in chains. But the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God promises you life to the full. And even whenever you rebel and go your own way, and even whenever you make decisions that wind up leaving you shackled and bound, it continues to pursue you and offer you a way out. This is the gospel 
that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he cares about you, he knows everything that you have ever done, all the wrongs that you have ever committed, everything that you want hidden, that you want to remain hidden from him, that you would want to run away from, he knows it all. But yet in the midst of that, even in that bondage that you have created for yourself and things that you have done and things that have been done to you, he continues to pursue you. This is who God is. This is what he does. And the hope of the believer is that even though we still live in a world where the kingdom of darkness still has power and still there are still remnants of the kingdom of darkness, there is one day coming when the true king will return and that he will dwell with us again, just like the beginning of the story, and he will put an end to the kingdom of darkness once and for all. At the very end of the story, at the very end of your Bibles, in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5, it says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is a vision of the end of days. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is the hope of the believer. We do live in a world in which darkness is still real. Evil is still powerful. We see remnants of the kingdom of darkness all around us, but the hope of the believer is that one day God will return, Jesus will return, and he will make all things right. That day is coming, but it is not here yet. And that is why, that is where we live in this grand story. We sit in this tension of a kingdom that has already come in Jesus in some ways, but is yet not established in full. You understand this? You following me here? Jesus has come, he has conquered sin and death. He has offered us new life through his life, death, and resurrection. And those who come to him and believe in his name can receive forgiveness. They can receive acceptance. They can be brought out of darkness and into light, be brought out of death and into life, be brought into the family of God and be able to know God as their heavenly father. That kingdom has arrived in many ways. But in the same way, the kingdom has not yet fully come because we see much injustice all around us, much evidence of the kingdom of darkness, and there is still need for a revolution to take place. And so the main point that I want you to understand about the kingdom of God tonight, and this is going to be behind me on the screens, is that the kingdom of God has already been inaugurated, but it has not yet been culminated. It has already been inaugurated, meaning that Jesus has set it up. He has come. He has conquered sin and death. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is not worried about the kingdom of darkness. But it is not already culminated, meaning he has not returned. There is more work still to be done before the renovation of all things, before the renewal of all things. And that is why we continue to pray this prayer of Jesus, our Father in heaven, hallowed 
be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is something that we should actively seek to participate in. This should not just characterize our prayers, it should characterize our lives, that we should pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom. The question becomes, and the question that I want us to wrestle with as Princess College Ministry, as college students and young adults living in the Athens area right here and right now, the question that I want us to ask is how do we do that? How do we pray for and how do we participate in this mission of the kingdom of God advancing in our world? I want to give you a three-part framework for how we pray for and participate in this mission. So that's our question. How do we pray for and participate in this mission? The first thing that I want us to think about, it's going to be a circle here on the screen, you can go ahead and put that up, is I want us to think about it globally. That we need to be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom globally. The reality of the world we live in is this, that we live in a world that is far more connected than has ever been in human history. You understand that, right? Like you have access to more information than any other generation before you. And that has all kinds of benefits to it. To it. But it also has this reality that we have access to information of all kinds of injustices happening all around the globe that we never have before. Like you can get on your phone right now. I just, I spent some time this week even just like reading some news articles of just devastating things that are happening in our world. Like I read an article this week about children in Kenya who are dying of starvation and malnutrition right now in 2023, all because they don't have access to an adequate food supply. Meanwhile, countries like ours throw away more food than we know what to do with. That is wrong. That should not be happening. I read an article about how many people, especially in the West, have this idea that slavery is not even a real thing anymore, but the fact is that there are 27 million people all around the globe who are in some kind of slavery, many of which are young women who are sold into slavery to be used in the sex trade. That is wrong. That should not be happening in our world. You can go online and you can read about the billions of people, billions with a B, of people who have no access to the gospel, even though we are living in a day in which technology is far more advanced than it has ever been. We have more money in churches than we have ever had, but there are still people all around the globe who have never even heard the name of Jesus. All of those things should infuriate you. They should not be normal to you. You understand that right? like because of the information that is accessible to us, because of this this information's accessibility. Sometimes we just read that and we're like, ah, that sucks. And then we move on with our day. That should not happen in the life of a believer. Whenever we read about these things, devastation happening in our world, the cry of our heart should be to cry out with Jesus, Father, your kingdom come. We should pray for the kingdom to come all across the globe. And we don't just pray for it, we participate in it. Whenever Jesus has his last moment with his disciples before he ascends into heaven, In Matthew 28, he gives them what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Understand that that wasn't just a call for religious reform. You understand that, right? I hope you understand. That was not just a call for religious reform. That was a call 
to go and be a part of the kingdom of God advancing in all places, all across the globe. The part, a call to be a part of bringing hope and healing, participating in things being made new. This is the call for every believer. And that's why I love being a part of a church like Prince. Because we here at Prince desire to engage with the mission of God all over the globe. Here at this church, we're going to send out at least 12 international mission teams every single year. That's insane. I've never been a part of a church that does that. In the past three years, Prince has been a part of planning two churches among unreached peoples, one in Japan and one in Nepal. That is absolutely amazing. Last summer, there were some guys in our college ministry who went to Nepal and shared the gospel with an unreached and unengaged people group, meaning people that had never heard the gospel before heard it because people from Prince went there last year. That's amazing. This should be something that fires us up. We are engaged in gospel work all over the world. This should be true of all of us. This is, we, that's incredible to celebrate, but we need so much more than that. There's so much more to be done. There are people all across the world who are hurting and dying and need the hope of the gospel, and we have the opportunity to take it to them. We must must be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom globally. The second circle, though, within that is that we're not only engaged globally, we also need to engage locally. We have to understand that God has placed us where we are and when we are for a specific reason. Within Christian circles, there's this, we love to talk about the sovereignty of God, meaning we love to talk about how God is in control of all things. And the fact that God is in control is meant to bring us comfort. And that's a really good thing. But I just want to tell you, like, if we're going to believe, if we believe that God is sovereign, that he's in control, that that means that we have to believe that you are here right now for a specific purpose, that you have been placed in this city, that you've been placed on your campus, that you've been placed in your workplace, that you've been placed in this time period right now for a unique purpose. We see evidence of this all over scripture. Even this week, I was thinking about places like Jeremiah chapter 29, where God speaks to the people through the prophet Jeremiah, and these people have been exiled from their home to Babylon, and God tells them to seek the welfare of the city that they've been exiled to which would have been mind-blowing to the Israelite. But he tells them to seek the welfare of the city that they've been placed in, that he has sent them there for a purpose and to seek its welfare. I think about stories like the book of Esther, where Esther is, sees injustice being done to her people and takes her life in her own hands by going to appear before the king because she believes the encouragement that she was born for such a time as this. And she appears before the king and pleads her people's cause and her entire people is saved because of it. I think about stories like Paul and Silas in the book of Acts being thrown in prison for their faith, yet choosing not to despise their position, but seeking to share the gospel with those who shared their jail cells, with those who kept them under watch. That's taking advantage of the place that you've been put. That is the mentality that I want us to have, that you are here for a purpose. One of the, the sad realities that I see in college ministry a lot is that a lot of students come to the city of Athens and they merely, they just consume. 
They consume what the city has to offer. They enjoy what the city can do for them, but never give any thought to how they can invest in what God is doing here. Many students come to this place and they view Athens as a place to enjoy for a few years on the road to the next thing. I just want to ask you the question, what if we began to think a little differently? What if we believe that God had us here for a reason? What if we began to seek the welfare of the city that God has placed us in? What if we began to make it a regular routine habit of ours to actually pray for our city, pray for our campuses, pray for our places of employment? What if we began to get involved in our local church and actually serve the community that we've been placed in? You can do that here. Like we're about to start this thing, and if you're, uh, as a matter of fact, if you're a missions intern in here, can you just raise your hand? Can you do that for me? A few of you are in here. Great. You can ask any of these people about what I'm about to talk about. Next month in October, we're about to start an initiative that we do every year called Prince Cares, where there are 30 projects that are going to happen all over the Athens area where we are going to get to be a part of engaging in gospel work and declaring and displaying the good news of the kingdom. You can sign up for some of those as early as this Sunday. You can participate in these things. What if we began to believe that we serve a God who is sovereign, who is in control of all things, and maybe, just maybe, you're not here by random chance, but you're here because he wants you here. There are people all over this city, in your classes, in your workplaces, who need to know the hope of the gospel, and you can be a part of advancing the kingdom right here and right now. So we must be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom locally. But the last circle is this. It's individually. Individually. Last and certainly not least, I want us to be a people who pray this prayer individually. We must be a people who pray for the kingdom of God to continue to come in our own lives. See, the reality is this, we don't just need the kingdom to come out there. We need the kingdom to come in here. There's a a quote by a, a famous Russian author whose name is Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He won a Nobel Prize back in 1970, and he famously said this, He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Listen to this. He says, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. That's real. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. The reality is this. It's easy to sit in a room like this and get riled up about the injustices that are happening out there. But the reality is if God were to come and he were to offer us the opportunity to get rid of all people who participate in evil in the world, not a single one of us would make the cut. You understand that, right? Like it would be easy, yes, to get rid of those in power who are contributing to the starvation of children in rural Africa. It would be easy to get rid of the people who are part of selling children into sex slavery. It would be easy to get rid of those who are practicing racism and persecuting people based on where they come from. But what if we brought it a little closer to home? What if we thought about the people who lust and use the images of another to satisfy the cravings of their own flesh? 
What if we thought about those who slander and say nice things to a person's face, but as soon as they leave the room, begin to utter all kinds of lies about them? What if we began to think about those who lie and, and stretch the truth to make themselves sound better than they really are, projecting an image of themselves that is not true? What if we began to think about those who wish harm upon others for the advancement of themselves? What if we began to think about those who are arrogant and judgmental and prideful, thinking that they are better than everyone else all around them? We begin to consider those kind of things. We begin to realize that the line dividing good and evil cuts through the hearts of us all. And if we want to be a people who see the kingdom advance in our world, we must first humble ourselves and ask for the kingdom to come in our own hearts. We must be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom individually. Our children's pastor, Cody Timmerman, he has a, a rug in his office that's um, it's just like, kind of like a small square rug. I was going to bring it to share it with you, but he has like carpet tape on the bottom of it and it gave me my hands all sticky and it wasn't worth it. So I'm just going to describe it to you. Okay. It was a, it's a rug in his office. that's just a square and inside that rug, it's just, there's a circle and these rugs were made popular a few years ago. And the, the whole idea behind them was that we want to be a people who pray for revival in our world, that we want to be a people who see the kingdom of God advance in our world. But if we want to be a people who see the kingdom of God advance in our world, then we must be a people who are willing to get down on our knees and ask first that would revival would happen in us. And so the symbolism of the rug is that you would get down on your knees inside that circle and you would pray for the kingdom to come, but you would pray that that kingdom would first start, that kingdom would first come in you. And so if this is what we want to see, the kingdom to come globally and locally, it first has to come in our own lives. That we have to be men and women who are willing to humble ourselves before a mighty God and ask him to continue to reveal himself to us, to show us the ways in which we are not walking with him, to show us the ways in which we need to surrender to him. And we need to wage war against sin in our life, fighting to be the men and women that God has called us to be so that whenever we leave places like this, the gospel will shine brightly through us as we interact with people locally, as we go to the nations globally. We must be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom individually, locally, and globally. That's my hope for us. That's who I want us to be. That's what I want us to be about.